people are watching. That is a warning to not let your kids end up on the magic island. I knew it all along. Advice on how to masturbate less. It tickles the imagination. God is a supercomputer. Is this bullshit? Hey, welcome to the Irrational Discourse Podcast. This is episode four, sci-fi science. Super fun. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? Hey, it's good, man. It's good to be back. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't here on the last episode. No, you were out working and uh, left me to, to, to go through it alone and you were missed. Oh, man. Oh, well, uh, I, I hope our listeners have the same experience as I did when I listened back to it. I wanted to give you a standing ovation, man. <laughs> Thanks. You know, one of the things I've learned when I editing the software is I've always hated my own voice. I think most people do when they hear it recorded for the sure, first yeah, time. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, it's like, is that what it really sound like? Yeah. <laughs> so now after I've spent so much time editing audio and, and hearing my own voice, now when I talk, <laughs> I can hear my own voice and it's driving me crazy. I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, you hear it in a whole new way. I, I have too. Um, I think... It's more accurate now in my brain. It is. Unfortunately <laughs> for me, it is. I, <laughs> no, you got a great voice. <laughs> I don't have your dulcet tones. <laughs> <laughs> so we we the last three episodes we've done, we, we had a lot of fun on the first couple episodes uh, with the intro episode, and then the red pill, blue pill was kind of a kickback, relax, and just mental regurgitation. Yeah, totally. The last two have been a little bit more, or the last three been a, a, a lot more intense. Sure, yeah, a little bit more challenging uh, all around, intellectually, spiritually, <laughs> psychologically. <laughs> I guess physically, psychologically, yeah. It's kind of combing through the list there in my brain, too. <laughs> yeah, we spent in the probably the better part of eight weeks just collecting notes and the details and going back and forth with questions to various people. Just to try to have as much information as possible for, you know, for those three episodes, especially the two God episodes. That oh, was, sure. Yeah. You know, the Bible's no small book. That is true. I mean, the pages are so thin. <laughs> 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 so we, I, I thought that maybe this would be a good one just uh, to sit around and go back to doing one that's a little bit maybe less controversial, less in-depth. Sure, yeah. Just both of us being a little bit on the geeky side. Yeah. Delving into sci-fi. Yeah. Maybe we might get some Trekkies, you know, or some Star Warsians or Expansians or whateverians. You know, they'd be like, actually, in episode 5201, article 9, it said this, so you guys are a bunch of jerks. I hope we get some of that. That That'd would be, be awesome. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I, I'm a big fan of the Star Talk podcast, and uh, Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson has a friend of his, uh, Charles Liu, who comes on from time to time, and he's like that because oh, they'll yeah. mention something on. Well, well, I think that there was you know one superpower I never saw was blah blah blah, and he'll go well actually in edition thirty two from nineteen sixty eight and. You know, the black naked mole rat had this kind of power, which was similar. And he comes up with all of this shit just right off the top of his head. Wow, that's amazing. He's an awesome guy. <laughs> yeah, to have such a catalog like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're into what you're into. That's cool. Such a mental catalog. He's, you yeah. can tell he's got a passion for it. He's the one that, that precisely calculated the exact weight of Thor's hammer. Oh, that guy. Yeah, wow. 
I don't remember what it was. It was like six and a half pounds or something like that. Wow. I can't even remember like the, what the mineral of that was made out of. Something like... It was the core of a neutron, of a neutrino star. But they gave it a name. They did. And I don't remember oh, I'd either. I'd say it's like Mithrandil, but that's kind of like close to like Mithrandir from Lord of the Rings. So that's probably wrong. <laughs> well, and Mithril was the, was the, was the material, was the metal that the, the, the magical chain mail. That's right. Yeah. That Bilbo gave to yeah. Frodo. Did I get that? Yes, that Bilbo gave to Frodo. So yeah. it, it was interesting. You, you rattled off just at the beginning, and it's kind of the first things when somebody mentions sci-fi to me. It used to be that the first two things that would pop into my head would be Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. Because I love Star Wars, and I was a Trekkie. Yes. <laughs> and you added The Expanse, which is also a new one to my mental catalog, because of... We still have the last three episodes to watch. We do, yeah. You turned me on to The Expanse, and it's kind of funny. It was one of those things where... Uh, you know, you and Tina recommended to Holly and I quite a bit before we finally came around to watch it, and we did, and it's just like, oh my god, this is it, and a few of my buddies have read the books, and uh, I, I, I guess, you know, with The Expanse, um, if you don't want it to end, there's still three more chapters if you read the books, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we were, Tina and I were secretly hoping that we could convince you and Holly to watch it again, because we wanted to watch it through a second time. yeah. And, and well worth it because we caught things the second time we had missed the first time. One of the big things in, uh, that instantly popped out in my head from the expanse is the um, just like the the space physics and how they approached all that. It, it I'm not you know a scientist by trade or anything like that. It's really cool and interesting. And with the expanse. You know, they presented space in a way that I hadn't really seen since, like, Interstellar. You know, you don't really see the uh, the physics working out too much in Star Wars, but you do in Star Trek. So here we are to kind of talk about all these different things. Where did they get it right? Where didn't they get it right? Yeah, and I'm, I'm probably one of the worst people to watch a war movie with. Oh, okay. Being, being a veteran, it's just I cry bullshit probably a dozen times through most movies, unless it's a... Saving Private Ryan or something like that, which really got... That's one that, you know, was pretty on the nose, I suppose. It was on the nose. It was intense. It it depicted quite well the long moments of boredom punctuated by extensive moments of sheer terror. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then back to long moments of boredom. I can only imagine. (laughs) But yeah, so that that was one of the few movies, but I'm also that way. I'm... As you said, we're not scientists, we're not physicists, but we're not ignorant on the subject either. Yeah, it's something that's interesting to both of us. So a lot of times watching sci-fi films, really, I start to get that nervous twitch and you know my eye starts going when things happen. And well, so like on the Star Wars one, uh, one of the new ones um, for me uh, that I noticed when I was watching, ah, oh gosh, I want to say it was the most recent major major one um we'll have to maybe edit this so i what was the name of the last big one was it return rise of skywalker yeah it wasn't the force awakens it was that was an an older one it was it might have been force awakens though too it was either force awakens or rise of skywalker there's an opening scene where there is it's rose's sister um the character rose it's her sister and they're like doing a bombing run uh, on on over like a yes. dreadnought, and they open up the hatch into just 
open space and there's no consequence to that there's no air getting sucked out they're just like she's just like hey there it is with open space we gotta get we gotta drop these bombs on this dreadnought i mean i didn't even see a force field shield or anything to explain that whatsoever it was just oh open space drop some bombs close it up we're all good and i i remembered thinking the exact same thing and i can't recall if it showed it or not but I think what they should have done is at least when the bombs were exiting the the hall, mm-hmm. just to have a little special effect like warp, zzz, you yeah, know, like just that it show, went through like a force field shield or something. Yeah, yeah. with all the special effects that they put into the show, something like that would have been simple. But now I want to go back and look at it and see if they did do that, and I could be wrong. Sure, because yeah. there's probably a, a Star Wars junkie on the other end of this just hollering at us right now but well yeah and and to to the star wars junkies out there too uh i I hear you man and i i love star wars who or 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 lady um i hear you peeps uh i'm well aware too that um the creators of star wars uh have openly announced probably profusely that it's the story's more about the drama and the interpersonal relationships. It's not about the physics of space or science or anything like that. Those are just kind of the, it's just kind of the environment that the stories take place in. Um, but it's not specifically about that stuff. So they kind of have a lot more artistic freedom with it. So with Star Wars, you absolutely have to suspend disbelief when you yeah. go in and sit down and you watch those. And they're great movies seen them countless times yeah and i enjoy them just as much every single time but yeah you have to suspend your disbelief yeah yeah i like watching them personally for the lore uh and and just the the human kind of aspects but specifically the lore and the force and you know all that is that's what tickles my imagination personally and yeah sure there's cool you know lasers and lightsabers and space but you know if you want to get nitty-gritty about that you, you go to Star Trek, or historically, you go to Star Trek for that. So the three topics we're going to discuss today, because of my thought process, was Star Wars, Star Trek, and I added The Expanse. Yeah, cool. So what I did is I just jotted down some topics that stood out to me when I watched those shows. Oh, yeah, sweet. Kind of penetrated my barrier of disbelief for a brief period of time before I could successfully either tuck it away and just enjoy the show or rationalize, yeah, you know, this could be possible, and I just don't know enough until doing further research later on after the movie. Oh, yeah. So you well, well, yeah, let's hear some of your thoughts. Let's start with Star Wars. Even though Star Trek was first, but I thought... Was it first? Star I guess Tre- it was, yeah. It yeah, was, Star yeah. Trek, the original series was from 66 to 67. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. That's right. Yeah, because when I... I started with Next Generation. You know, I missed out on the original Star Trek stuff. And so that's kind of where my brain just naturally defaults. It's like, no way, that came out in the 90s. But no, no, you're right. And I, if I heard correctly, too, if I remember... Um, Somebody told me a rumor that may or may not be true that uh, Lucille Ball um, had a pretty big influence on creating the first Star Trek. Yeah, that was kind of. Dep- I, I didn't see the movie, but I heard that that was depicted in the, uh, the 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 recent movie that just came out about her life with Desi Arnaz. Oh, cool! And it was she was you know in that. <laughs> We're going from Star Wars to I Love Lucy. <laughs> she played she played a complete ditz in the show. You know that movie was way before my time, but when I grew up, my grandparents, my grandmother primarily, you know, would work work at nights and sleep in the day. 
and she was taking care of me while my mom worked. So the TV was my babysitter. Oh, yeah. And I ended up watching all kind of reruns. I mean, for those of you out there old enough, I mean, Adam 12 was this crazy ass show. It was black and white in the late 50s, early 60s. Oh, and those, fun. those reruns were on. That's what made me want to be a cop. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> I was younger for my entire life. I was, <laughs> I was obsessed with it. And then Gilligan's Island and PT-109. But Lucille Ball was another one of those reruns. And she just plays the biggest dits in the world on, on that show. But she was actually an exceptionally intelligent woman in real life and did get involved in a lot of producing, writing, directing. Wow, that's awesome. So. I mean, how influential. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh. So back to Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, so back to Star Trek. So the, actually back to Star Wars. So <laughs> what I, the, I just put them in sequence. I, I thought I'd start with Star Wars, even though it was before Star Trek, because I, I went with probably the, the... I started with the shows or the movies or the films with the, the least uh, probability of accurate physics mm-hmm. and then progressed you know, from least probable to most prob- most least plausible to most plausible. Okay, cool. I like it. And Star Wars, which, if you put all three of them up and in an eternity, I could only pick one series to watch for the you know that eternity. I would pick Star Wars. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I think one of the early things, because I was a kid and I had never seen it before when I you know when I first watched Star Wars, I was quite young. It was uh, the Twin Stars of Tatooine. Oh yes, yes. And you know, could how would that work and. You know, what would it be like to have two sons? And Yeah, that is true. I haven't thought much of that. But do you, ha- do you have some more thoughts? I got all kind of thoughts. Okay, cool. I mean, would it work? Yeah, so that kind of system is called a circumbinary system. Circumbinary system, yeah, right? Yeah, and a binary system is just a system that contains two stars. Two, yeah. Or there are multiple star systems. What we found, well... <laughs> I keep saying that and I keep apologizing on what astrophysicists have found. Yeah, when you say we, it's like we as a human civilization. Yeah, let's just do that. I'm going to keep correcting myself, but if I say we moving forward, then <laughs> that's, that, that's what I mean is you know, we as a human species. So what we have discovered is that our sun is actually relatively unique in our, in our galaxy. Hmm. So if, if you go out at night and depending upon... You know, we've looked through, excuse me, we've looked through our, you know, my, my telescope on more than one occasion. And on a clear night without any ambient light to really, you know, d- diffuse the, the view of the stars. Yeah, a nice clear night. Yeah, so if we went to the lake and there was, there was no light pollution and a clear night, a crisp clear night, and you look up at the sky, you can see a couple thousand stars with a naked eye. Mm-hmm. About 80% of those stars that we see are binaries. Oh, wow. So most stars that we see in the night sky... Are really two. Are really two stars. Wow. No shit. Some relatively close proximity to each other. Now, with a telescope, obviously, you can see a lot more than a couple thousand. Mm-hmm. And with some of those, you can detect that they are two stars that appear fairly close together. But um, in, in many cases, the, the stars are so close that they really appear as just one larger star. Wow, that's amazing. So I went back and was reading on, you know, that, that, you know, when I, when I first heard that, I was trying to understand how a planet could orbit around two stars and what that would do to its, uh, its orbital path and gravitational tugs and influence and, on all the planetary bodies. Yeah. And, and, you know, Forbes, there was an article in Forbes um, back in, back last year 
that said there were there were a group of astrophysicists that that went out and researched nine binary stars looking for exoplanets. Okay. Now exoplanets are fairly new. Back in the early nineties, I'm guessing, you know, ninety two, ninety three, we had an idea that there were exoplanets out there. It only made sense. But it, it was all theory. There had none had been detected. I think the first one was detected um, a couple years later. And around or since that time, I should say, we've now cataloged almost four thousand exoplanets. Holy crap! So they it keeps growing and growing, and you know, not necessarily not, just in our galaxy, but just in general. In general, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but it, well, it, that I mean, the the ones that I think they've cataloged are primarily in our galaxy. Wow. But if there are exoplanets around stars in our galaxy. I mean, deductive reasoning, there's just as many exoplanets in other galaxies. And so, like, exoplanets are, like, planetary bodies that, would, that are pretty much on the outskirts, like, outside of Pluto, for example. Well, they're, they're planetary bodies that are actually orbiting a star. Yeah. That is, our, uh, the closest star system to us is 4.37 light years. That's Alpha Centauri. Okay. So that's, and, and there are exoplanets that have, that have been discovered around uh, Alpha Centauri, Kepler 64b is one of them. Wow. So we, again, we, the, the cosmologists, the astrophysicist community, know how to detect them now. And I actually came out, there was a guy, I don't remember his name because I'm, I'm flying off the handle here. There was a uh, astrophysicist and he was uh, fairly unknown and his, his job was kind of mundane. He had this vision on finding exoplanets and on a, on a way to do it, but he had pretty much been, I won't, I won't say ostracized, he wasn't ostracized. He'd kind of been pushed out to, you know, relegated to the fringe research section of astrophysics. And he had, he had decided that and, and come to terms with, well, I guess it's going to be my life. I'm, you know, I have a job, I'm going to be doing this. It's nothing special. There's no going to be, there's not going to be any fame or, or praise for, for my work. And, and then he was the one that, that actually, using his technique, discovered the first exoplanet. Wow. And then it's really taken off since then. Do you know, I mean, God, just out of curiosity, what's the technique? Oh, so the technique, it's, it's relatively straightforward. So if you, you know, if you think about gravitational pull, we are influenced, Earth is influenced heavily by the sun's gravitational pull. We orbit around the sun. Yeah. And it's the gravitational pull of the sun and our momentum in one direction that causes us to orbit the way it does. Yeah. But it's not just the sun that exerts gravitational force. It's everything. On Earth, the Earth also gra exerts gravitational force on the sun. So two objects, you and I sitting three feet apart, are exerting gravitational force on each other. Yeah, wow. But when you have a planet like Earth, or even, I mean, most planets, most exoplanets that have been discovered are like Neptune-sized and larger. Uh, so they have a lot of mass, and they exert a lot, a lot of uh, gravitational force on their host stars. It causes the stars to wobble. Hmm. They would basically zoom in on a star, and then they would track that star. And as they tracked it, if they noticed that there was a wobble to it, they could determine where the, the kind of where that wobble was coming from. They could determine that there was an exoplanet that was orbiting that star, because that would be the only thing that could exert that kind of gravitational force. Wow! And also by the amount of the wobble and knowing the mass of the star they could get an idea of how large the planet was as well. That is so cool. The other thing that they could do is as the planets would um, pass in front of the star, they would be able to detect a slight dimming of the star's magnitude. Oh, sure, like almost like, yeah, seeing its silhouette. Or 
the star is emitting this amount of light, but it dims by you know some fraction of a percent at a certain time. Yeah, and you can tell that the star is pa- the, the planet is passing between us and the host star. That's so cool. What they discovered when they were looking at these nine binary star systems, yeah, it revealed that five of those had planets that were in the habitable zone. Oh, what cool. used to be called the Goldilocks zone. Like where Earth is. Where Earth is, yeah. yeah. Not too hot, not too cold. They were, they were in the Goldilocks zone. So there are actually discovered binary star systems with planets that orbit around those that, that exist in a habitable zone and so around one, those stars. One of those could be Tatooine. One of those could be Tatooine, Yeah, for all we know. Of course, that was in a um, galaxy far, far away a long time ago. So. That's true, yeah. I mean... Who knows? Tatooine could have, you know, collapsed into its star by now. So I'd mentioned Kepler-64b, and the interesting thing about that is it's a a planet that's slightly larger than Neptune. Okay. And it actually is in a, uh, it's a circumbinary planet in a four-star system. Whoa. So the way this works is that Kepler-64b is orbiting around a binary star. Okay. So two stars that are orbiting each other. Kepler-64b is orbiting those two stars. And then outside of Kepler-64b, there, there's another binary star that's orbiting Kepler-64b's host star. Wow. What the heck? So if you were on Kepler-64b, and now, of course, the two stars... The, the, of course, the two stars, the binary stars that are, outside of the, that are outside of Kepler's orbital path are probably and most likely, you know, would be much more dim in the day sky or in the night sky, whenever, whatever day and night would be. Yeah. <laughs> but they would still be a lot more bright than, say, what we see today from, you know, we see Jupiter all the time when we go outside. You know, we can point up to the sky and say, oh, there's Jupiter. And you can even see Saturn with the naked eye yeah. or Venus. It'd be a, they'd be a lot brighter than what we'd see with you know, Venus, I don't know if it would be moon-like, but something in between. Hmm. Wow. That's cool. A planet can have a stable orbit around a binary star if one of two conditions exist. Either the binary stars or the two stars are extremely close together, hmm. say, you know, a million miles. And a million miles isn't much. I mean, we're 90 million miles from the sun. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if you had two stars that were you know, a million or two million miles apart from each other that were orbiting each other, and then say you were 120, 150 million miles out, depending upon the size of the star, you might be in the habitable zone. Or if the stars were extremely far apart and your planet had a really wide or long orbital Orbit. path mm-hmm. around both of those stars. If it's somewhere in between that, then you end up with, a, uh, with an unstable orbit. And it might get too close to one and then get accelerated and maybe flung too far away from the other before it gets pulled back and then shot back to the other. And you go through extreme heat cycles. And then at some point later, you go through extreme cold cycles and it would render the the planet uninhabitable. Right. So the ruling on Tatooine's twin stars, I gave it a, a, a very plausible. Cool. All right. Yeah, it could be done. Nice. Okay. So they got that one right. <laughs> So number two on my list is probably the most popular toy gadget gizmo to come out of Star Wars, which are the lightsabers. The lightsaber, yes. <laughs> the lightsabers are awesome. <laughs> I've wanted one since I was eight years old. I mean, yeah, I have, I don't know if I'd want one. I mean, maybe, right? But I'd be so afraid that I'd turn it on and then just drop it right into the planet's core or something. <laughs> Oops, sorry, everybody. <laughs> Didn't mean to kill us all. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, but if okay, yeah, that, <laughs> this goes into the physics of it and into the science of it. So you know, the the question was: is is a lightsaber a laser? Right. Yeah. Or what is it? It so like as I understand it, it it's kind of the expression of the force in like in a really raw state. Uh, it gets channeled through its user through its crystal and it's like a way to to harness living force like pure raw force that's not like in a creature it's just the force so i guess it's electricity it's plasma i I don't know wasn't the force generated by metachlorians see you know uh i I, i'm unclear with uh with the lore you know suspend disbelief yeah suspend disbelief yeah yeah (laughs) The first thing that I learned in, in researching the possibility on how to make a lightsaber is you can't use a laser. Mm. So lasers are impossible. They can't be lasers. And there's, hmm. there's, there's a couple reasons why. One of them is you know, when they would push the button, you'd hear the as they came out. And lasers are perfectly silent. Sure. So there's nothing to go there. And lasers have a fixed Lasers do not have a fixed length. Right. They just keep going and going and going. Yeah. And you, you get a laser pointer and you, know, you can hit something as far away as you want with it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is light, right? So, I mean, it goes forever. Yeah. It would, need, it would need some kind of device. I think most lightsabers are, what, four feet long? Sure. Yeah. So you would need something, you know, four feet away from the hilt that would reflect the laser back into the hilt. Yeah. And that, of course, you didn't see it because that would you'd have some kind of weird. Yeah, and it wouldn't. Uh, that wouldn't be like a true lightsaber, like how it is in Star Wars. No, no, and and lasers are also invisible unless there's something that's diffracting the light, unless it's hitting something on its way out that mm. that causes the light to diffract particles in the air, moisture in the air, something like that. And they don't crackle and sparkle when you cross the beams. Ah, yes. Yeah, they just silently do nothing. <laughs> Pass through that night. Yeah. <laughs> Pass through that night. So an alternative to, to lasers, though, could be plasma. Hmm, okay. And, and plasma is really... I didn't think about plasma until I started researching this. And, you know, plasma, in, in the industry I work in, we, we sell to customers who make you know, plasma cutters and things like that. And, and it's really nothing more than you're ionizing, you're stripping electrons away from a gas. And I think the most common type of gas is xenon. Mm, okay. And we see plasma every day or most every day when, you know, you look at fluorescent lights or you look at neon lights. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a form of plasma. Yeah, it's electricity running through the gas, and when that happens, it glows or something. Yeah, so as you ionize the gas, it causes the gas to glow. Gotcha, ionize it yeah. specifically. Ionize, yeah. yeah, by stripping electrons away. So it's Yeah, I've seen, um, I've seen some YouTube videos of a guy, or of you know, DIY guys that have hooked up a plasma cutter that they've customized in some way so they have this handle that can cut through super thick you know pieces of of steel and they've got it designed so they look a lot like a lightsaber but they're still connected to a a cable Hmm. that's connected to their plasma cutter it's not like a standalone lightsaber thing but it looks a lot like them and they do cut through stuff and they're incredibly dangerous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the way your know, most plasma, like if you look at a fluorescent bulb, you can grab a hold of it and it doesn't burn. Yeah. It's, but it's, that's a very low amount of current that's passing through that gas to create that amount of light. 
because plasma is conductive, you can pass a current through it and like you said, generate, you know, the heat that was, that was needed, but it would require, I looked one thing up is like, um, how much power would you need to, was it episode one where Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon? Yeah, I think it was episode one where Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon went up to, I don't know, the, 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 the Viceroy's ship, the, the Viceroy's ship. Yes. Yeah. And, and Qui-Gon took his lightsaber yeah. And the blast shields came down, and he, he rammed it in there, and it was, like, slowly moving it, and you could see the steel melting. Yeah, and, and it gets hotter and hotter until finally they, they cut through. Yeah, so the question was, is how much power would be needed in order to generate enough energy with the lightsaber to actually slice through the blast doors? And Wow. Turns out, as with anything out there, People have done the calculations. Okay. <laughs> so, and, and what have we discovered, people? So the... <laughs> And I can't remember if I got this one from the European Journal of Physics, but there were that was you know I have some source documentation, um, source references that I'm going to give at the end of the at the episode here. But basically, their calculation was is that the um, the amount of energy that would be needed to power the lightsaber to do what it did in Episode One, yeah, would be equivalent to generating one tenth of the energy of the output of our sun for one second. Holy shit. I mean, holy crap. <laughs> you don't get that with 9-volt batteries. Wow. <laughs> One-tenth of the sun. <laughs> so, yeah, so there, there would have to be, and again, suspend disbelief. They have some kind of power crystal. I can't remember what the crystal was that was used in Jedi lightsabers. That, that yeah, I don't think that was revealed until much later in the episodes. Yeah, um, it is a they weren't dilithium Ky- crystals kyber crystals kyber crystals yeah it. yeah kyber so it would have to be able to to output that kind of energy every second yeah. for the duration that he had the lightsaber into the into the blast doors wow so that is one heck of a, a force wielder right there yeah the other thing that you would need on that is in order to contain the plasma you need some kind of force field so it would also mm. have to be powering the force field hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the force field would also have to be such that it allowed visible light to pass, but not infrared light, because there was no heat near the blade of the lightsaber. Yeah. It was only if the lightsaber made contact with you, which presumably would be once you penetrated the boundaries of the... Yeah, of, of, of the, the plasma of, shield. Of the, of the force uh, the force field, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Of the event horizon <laughs> of the force field. <laughs> so wow. the ruling I gave on lightsabers, unfortunately... Is that they are really, really cool. I still want one, but they are absolutely impossible without the aid of some technology that we're not aware of today. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Well, hey, good luck developing it, guys. And I hope, like hell, somebody is sitting there listening to us, calling us an idiot with completely functional lightsabers in their hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Look what I just did. (laughs) With a 9-volt battery, fucker. (laughs) (laughs) All you have to do is just, yeah, repeat its pattern signal 20 billion times. You just need a little microchip. So another thing of the physics of Star Wars, the, sci- the science behind it that, that bothered me, even, even as a, not as a child, but as a teenager you know, moving forward. And it doesn't just happen in Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica or even in Star Trek and, and The Expanse was sound in space. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. No sound in space. No. So sound, sound requires matter to propagate. And you know, it's the vibrations they have to propagate through matter. That's not possible in space. It doesn't happen. What's, what's the old saying is, is 
in space, nobody can hear you scream. Yeah, that was from, I think, that was uh, from the movie Alien. It was part of their marketing. Was it Alien or was it 2001 Space Odyssey? Maybe it was 2000. It's one of, it's a, you know, a more classic sci-fi movie. Alien's another all-time great. Yeah. I should have got into the physics of that, but I thought, well, we got enough to talk about here, so. True. But yeah, yeah, no sound in space. Yeah, I remember, I mean, we're deviating a little bit here, but Gravity was one of the first ones I remember seeing that got that one right. You know, Gravity that- was very good in that. Now, Gravity, on the other hand, <laughs> so the term was Gravity. But Sandra Bullock is in Micro-G, <laughs> and her bangs... I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson mention this once, and I actually went back and looked at the movie. Uh, Sandra Bullock's bangs are perfectly in place and compliant the entire time throughout the movie. She doesn't have like her hair tied all the way back and over a buzz cut or something. Oh, yeah. She's looking fabulous. She's looking fabulous. <laughs> but they did get the sound and space absolutely right. And I, I thought that it added to the effect of the movie, where in some sci-fi movies, they think that taking the sound out of show a visual from space, you know, removes or detracts from the from the from the interest of the movie. But with gravity, that it added to the eeriness. Yeah, it did to the intimidation factor of satellites blowing up and shrapnel heading your way. It did. Yeah, you could hear them from the inside of the ship. That makes sense. You know, there's air and oxygen to make sound, but outside of the ship, yeah, it was totally eerie. Who knows? Maybe as uh, the audience gets more sophisticated, that'll evolve if we ever get sophisticated yeah <laughs> we got a long way to go yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe our kids so but yeah, there, was, there was a star wars and i don't remember which novel it was but there there was a it was written in one of the the novels of the series and it mentioned and i don't remember the character i don't remember a lot of shit apparently but i do remember that there was one point where they saw some kind of event happening in space while the person witnessing the event the character was in space and they said that the eerie silence added to the event while they were watching it. Hmm. So they mentioned they they did reference that you know no no sound in space in in the novels. Mm-hmm. However, you know there there was one explanation for why there was sound in the movies, and it makes sense. It says that there was a sensor system within the ships that would recreate the sound by it would mod basically the sensor system would be monitoring a ship. So imagine you're on the Death Star, and you're tracking five ships. The sensors would recognize the type of ship that it was and analyze the movements that it was making while moving through space, and it would recreate that sound inside the ship. Oh, weird. To give the... And this is in Star Wars, they said? Yeah, or so th- just... this was the explanation for it. I see. This was the explanation given after the fact. Ah, uh-huh. It was like, well, you suspended this belief. Here was our thought process in doing it. It's like, you know, we just implied or it was implicit that there was a sound recreation system based on the type of ship that it was monitoring. The reason that the audience heard sound is because we were watching it from the perspective of the characters in the movie that could hear the recreated sound. I see. Yeah. So the ruling that I gave to this one is, no, it's not plausible at all, but it is explainable. There we go. with, with, With regard to the movies. Yeah. Hmm. If you don't mind, I might need to take a little break to tinkle real quick. Let's do it. All right. All right, quick break. We're back. All right. All right. Where did we leave off? We left off, um, I think... Oh, in space, nobody can hear you scream. That's right, yeah. Um, Next item on the list. Yeah, what's, what, what are your other thoughts? So let's jump from lightsaber... <laughs> like, what, are, what are your other thoughts? <laughs> we're jumping from... Uh, so let's go from lightsabers to blasters. 
Blasters. Okay. Yeah, very similar to the to the lightsabers, um, and they, and they're referred to as laser blasters or plasma blasters. Mm -hmm. So it kind of correlates to the possibility for the lightsabers. Lightsabers, or I'm sorry, laser blasters really aren't plausible for you know some of the similar reasons on lightsabers. One is you know the laser, it's light, so it's traveling near the speed of light when you shoot it. And during the movie, it's clearly visible that you can see the bolts yes. as they move. And you also had you know, Jedi's ducking and dodging the the lasers, which are the, the the bolts, which you wouldn't be able to do. And with a laser, because they're so fast and so accurate, it just doesn't rationalize at all the shitty aim that you saw in the movies. Oh from, my God! Yeah, <laughs> from both the rebels and the Empire. Of course, True. yeah. The, the the stormtroopers uh, the, the best aim we've ever seen <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> it's worse I was just downstairs uh, with my daughter and we were watching one of the scenes from the the ninth version of Fast and the Furious yeah and there's a guy running down the street and there's a jeep behind him with like three or four guys with machine guns and they're just unloading their clips at them. They're probably 30 feet away <laughs> and bullets are flying all around them and they must have unloaded all, all four hit clips nothing. and yeah. never hit anything. Oh, and I can imagine too, the hero probably turns around, you know, with his last bullet in his, you know, pistol and just hits all three of them at the same time. <laughs> it's kind of like Deadpool. I only got nine bullets. Some of you are going to have to share. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> okay, but... Sticking with the sci-fi. <laughs> so we have to yeah, completely discount lasers. It's it, the, the blasters in Star Wars are definitely not lasers. So that, that takes us to plasma. They have to be plasma blasters. Okay. The interesting thing is, is well, I guess we could say that we know that they're plasma blasters because in the, in the movies and in the book, well, maybe not in the movies, but in the books, they, they got the, they used to mine on Cloud City, uh, Tibonic uh, gas or Tibonic gas. Hmm. Yeah, I used to mind that, and I saw I read um, in one of the comic books, uh, one of the Marvel released comic books. I can't remember if it was Star Wars, if it was one of the Vader comic books. They mined these uh, these grubs. They were like these worms that would excrete the fart, tibana gas instead of methane or something. It wasn't a gas. It was like their. It was like. It was their actual, like, physical shit, I think, that <laughs> was an important component. I to got a shit blaster. Creating, yeah, the blasters, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, they were a really hot commodity that everybody wanted to get their hands on because whoever controlled the worm or controlled the grubs, you know, controlled the military, uh, the might. Whoever controls the spice <laughs> controls the life. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> But plasma boulders, there's the plasma boulders, plasma boulders. <laughs> <laughs> so with plasma blasters, there's a lot of things in the movie that kind of point to that's what they would be. So one, one thing is if you ever shoot an air gun, like a, a CO2 BB gun, where you pump the handle 15, 20 times yeah. and you shoot it, there's a little bit of recoil. Yeah. Because the gas is exerted. And you would see that in the movies also. When they would shoot the blasters, they would have a little bit of recoil. Yeah. If it was a laser, there, there, would be, be one. there would be none of that fuckery going on. And the bolt would move slow enough to be visible by the eye. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the military... If it was plasma. If it was plasma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when the military, one out of every four or five rounds that we would fire um, through, like, say, a, you know, an M240, an M60, or a saw, would be a tracer round. Hmm. And you can see the tracer flying down range. Oh, wow. And it's a, I mean, it moves pretty quick. It's not... A, when I first went into the military, it wasn't as fast as I thought it would be. I was expecting... Maybe I was 
thinking Star Wars. But yeah, you see it moving downrange, and that's that's interesting. So it's not every one either; it's every like fifth one. Yeah, well, one if if there were if it was every, you don't need it to be every fifth, uh, every one because you know. And I've been out of the military for a few years, but if you're firing four hundred to six hundred rounds a minute. Yeah. You know, one every four or five rounds. That'll do. Pretty it. significant. You can, you know, it's a pretty, it's like a dotted line going to the target. Yeah. Uh, with the 50 caliber that I shot quite a few times, it was it was a little bit less, but still, it's more than enough. The other thing is, is because the, the phosphorus tip gets ignited when it, before it ejects from the barrel, mm-hmm. it, it generates a little bit more heat. Oh, okay. Yeah, and heat on the barrel is the enemy. It's why when you see movies where somebody unloads with a 50 caliber machine gun or an M60 and they just hold the trigger down and like go through like 300 rounds. Oh, no way. That's horseshit. Yeah, they would melt that barrel right away. Yeah, I've seen 50 cal barrels melt, which isn't pretty. Uh, we had a 50 cal barrel on a, on a live fire range once that banana peeled. Oh, wow. Which means that just the barrel got so hot that it warped in one of the rounds. There's so much energy behind it. The round is half an inch in diameter. So well, it's it, like it's like you know from a Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, it really is. Fuds, it does. Yeah. It, you know, so part of the barrel, part of the barrel, you know, completely severed, but the the remnants that were that were left just kind of banana peeled. It wasn't wow. as depictive as as Looney Tunes. I never. You know, where that. Bugs Bunny would stick his finger in Elmer's shotgun and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never realized that too. I mean, that that makes sense too. Why you know you want to shoot in bursts and not just stream and all that. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen more than my fair share of, especially the noobs, the new guys. Yeah. Who reach down and you know after you know, running a mission and they drop down and they fire several hundred rounds through a 60 or a 50 and, you know, they reach down and grab it by the barrel without thanking cause of adrenaline. Yeah. It'll, it'll leave skin stuck to the barrel. Dang. It gets pretty hot. Dang. Um, Yeah. Well, so with the, what are uh, we talking about? We're, we are talking about the, um, Oh, the black, the the plasma blast. Yeah. The plasma blasters. Mm. So yeah. And the other thing is, is you'd be able to detect them by the eye. So the, you know, the ninja type Jedi, the, support and boost of the midichlorian powers <laughs> you know might be able to actually dodge them because you can't see them yes yeah it's not an instant thing like a like a laser the other interesting thing about if you know they were plasma so p- plasma is extremely sensitive to magnetic fields even the planet's magnetic field oh wow okay so that would also explain the aforementioned very shitty aim sure. that was demonstrated mm-hmm. in the movies repeatedly with because they're plasma bolts. <laughs> they would have been better off if they had found out a way to rapid load 18th century muskets. Because, <laughs> because those bolts, I mean, they were right on top of each other and there were bolts flying everywhere. You know, more than likely they would shoot and they would kill somebody, but it would never be the person they were aiming at. There wow. was just shit going everywhere. But, so, yeah, the planet's magnetic field could influence or would influence the bolt that went. And if it was, it, you know, if they're sensitive to magnetic fields, could also explain possibly how the Jedi could deflect them with a lightsaber. Ah, yes. So yeah, I like the way this is going. Yeah. However, <laughs> as we talked about with the lightsabers, the power source would need to be incredibly large. Oh, I see. It would have to be incredibly large to you know generate enough power in the bolt to not only propel it, but to have that much heat to where it could destroy the target once it once it impacted. Yeah, I saw a. Um 
it's outside of Star Wars now, but it was a uh, it was a Terminator fan page, like a fan wiki, like a fan wiki, and they went super in depth into. I wish I could remember what its name was, uh, but anyway, they went into super in depth with all the Skynet stuff, all the way down to how their plasma bolts worked, and it pretty much was exactly like how you just described, where it would need to be plasma, and it's susceptible to magnetic fields, and it would have to have some sort of like shield around it too. Interesting. That dude was tapping into the same stuff you were tapped into. I'm with trying to remember now. Physics. <laughs> I'm trying to remember now that the. You know, one of the scenes when Kyle Reese does a flashback in Terminator and, you know, the T-800s without the skin yeah. are are coming across and they're shooting and he's trapped and kind of burning. It was the nightmare he had. Yeah. Did did they have power packs on their back connected to the rifles? I don't know. I'm going to have to it, look that up. Yeah. Because that would give more plausibility to the story, too. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if they'd be nuclear-powered backpacks, which would be scary and... Salt, but I mean they're T eight hundreds. Yeah, yeah, they were nuclear powered. They, according to, I don't know if it was this fan thing or. Well, no, you remember? Termi- read, but, do you remember yeah. Terminator two when after he saved? No, it was Terminator three after he had saved John Connor. John Connor. Yeah. With with his soon to be wife. Yeah. And they were in the back of his beat up pickup truck and he's driving through the desert okay and he pulls out one of his cores because he says oh, yeah, it's become faulty and he throws it and then there's a little nuclear little explosion. nuclear yeah mushroom cloud or whatever yeah yeah they they the the terminators themselves totally had a, like an energy source like that that was nuclear or something yeah i thought that was pretty cool though that they the way they showed it yeah yeah so it wasn't just implied that oh he's got some kind of energy source they actually showed the energy source well, so do you have in your notes, does, did somebody run the math on uh, on a plasma bolt? Like how much energy would be required? No. So one of the things I was trying to get into is on that I didn't have much success on is, one, how much energy it would take to charge the bolt to generate enough heat to do what it was doing. The only thing that I found is that it was, exce- it was excessive amounts of heat. And then also the propellant. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what launched it? Yeah. And there's, you know, so that's, we're kind of getting from the physics into the engineering aspect of it at that point. I have an engineering degree, but not on plasma blasters. Yeah. Unfortunately. If they're susceptible to magnetism, maybe it was some sort of like linear motor derived from Like a magnets. real gun. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. We're going to start building our own plasma blasters. In the next year. <laughs> that's our New Year's resolution for 2023. <laughs> So as hot as it would need to be, the material would have to be able to contain that heat. Mm. So the weapon itself, and we just talked about that with real-world weapons on how heat can deform the metal. So you know, the, these are things that would technically get much hotter and sit in the weapon and not just start generating heat at the moment they were fired. So it would, you know, there would have to be some kind of unknown material available. Maybe a metal that hasn't been discovered or an alloy that hasn't been created or invented. Yeah. The final thing that I found, I, because this is the other thing, it's like, well, if there's that much heat, you know, what kind of damage would they do? So this this kind of, you know, took us out of the area of being very implausible because I started looking up, you know, injuries from from these kind of, you know, what would what would an injury look like if you got hit with, you know, such high temperature plasma? Yeah, and it would be pretty horrific. So it wouldn't like you'd be seeing in the movie was was it was it at the end of episode six? Didn't didn't Leia get hit when they were outside of the shield doors? Yeah, 
and she got hit and she's laying there and there's a little bit of a you know melodramatic moment between her and Han and I think she got hit in the arm or something. Yeah, but. and it's kind of about maybe as in like this, it looked like the same impact that you'd get from maybe a bullet. Yeah. Or less. Right. And if it had been plasma, it would have been, basically would have blown the arm off and it would have cauterized everything instantaneously. So wow. for just from the amount of heat that would be there. So so on, on that part, they, of course, that would have, you know, changed the outcome of the movie. We got to suspend disbelief. But so, you know, the ruling on plasma blasters is that they're somewhat plausible. Mm-hmm. But they require technology, again, that we just don't have available to us today. And the impacts were probably, the impact of being hit by such a weapon was probably... Probably greater. Yeah, portrayed incorrectly in the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a cauterized wound like that, though, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of cool. You know, as long as you don't get hit in a vital organ, you know, uh, you won't bleed out. Yeah, there was, there was, and I think it was in the last three movies somewhere, and I don't remember if it was, I don't remember who it was, but they got hit or stabbed with a lightsaber, and they showed blood oh, coming yeah. out of the wound. I remember that in episode four, New Hope. Yeah, the guy in the cantina gets his arm cut off, and there's there's blood There's there. blood, yes, that's right. And no, uh, that wouldn't yeah, be the case. They, they learned from their mistakes on that one. <laughs> yeah, and then the, really the, there were just a couple more things that I had with Star Wars. Um, the asteroid belt in Empire. Mm, okay. So in Empire Strikes Back, there's the one scene where you know Han and Leia and the crew are... are you know, fleeing from, I don't know if it was a star cruiser, uh, and they ended up jumping into an asteroid belt. Yeah. And the the way they portrayed or depicted the asteroid belt in the movie were that they were very large asteroids, very close together, moving at very, in very erratic patterns, uh, some colliding into each other. That's just not plausible from the fact that any large asteroid belt... Those things are probably miles away. Miles and miles away. Miles yeah. And miles. So there, yeah. you know, we we've had encounters with asteroid belts, and you know, like the Explorer missions, and you know, they fly right through it, and there's so much empty space in space. Yeah. Even you know, even in asteroid belts, that you go right through it. If the asteroids are close together, they're going to be one. bouncing all over, or they're going to what's going to happen, and most likely is that they're just going to be colliding with each other continuously, and they're going to be breaking down, and you're going to have a lot of small asteroids. Gotcha, yeah. Uh, flying around together. Yeah, the impact of the bigger one will... Yeah, yeah, they just destroy each other. And So the only like way that that one over- would be plausible is if we subjected our own opinion in that is maybe the asteroid belt had just recently formed. Oh, I see. Okay. That that might be something. But there was, there was another one that really took it off because this is the one where... Uh, Han flies the Falcon into the into the hole on the asteroid, mm-hmm. and then they they land and it's in that worm. Yeah, it's in the large space worm, and and him and Leia exit the ship, and the only thing that they're wearing is the little mask on their face. Ah, uh, yes, to to give them oxygen. Asteroids don't have an atmosphere. One of the first things that would have happened would have been barotrauma. Their body would have rapidly decompressed. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> which isn't. Uh, did you ever see? Did you ever see the original Total Recall? Yes. Do you know where Schwarzenegger gets thrown out on the planet and he's going? Yeah, and his eyes are popping out. And yeah, <laughs> so that would have been that would have been Han and, Han and Leia. And the other <laughs> thing is, is that you know when you're exposed uh, to the vacuum of space, you go through ebulism, ebulism, which is basically your blood boils. It changes wow. the boiling point of your blood. Well, and, wow. Well, so they were inside the belly of a worm or of a creature, you know. So would that have any impact on that? But if there's no atmosphere around the, uh, the the asteroid, there'd be no atmosphere inside the worm. I see. Yeah. 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 So that was the only thing that kind of ruined that one. They would have had to have come out in, you know, in a full-blown spacesuit. 
Yep. So. <laughs> but if they had wiped out Han and Leia and Empire, it would have just completely ruined the plot of an otherwise excellent movie series. Yeah. <laughs> But I did just picture them going through the total recall, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) And Schwarzenegger is awesome. (laughs) He's the only guy that I know that can moan and groan with with an Austrian accent. (laughs) So the ruling I gave that one, yeah, it's somewhat plausible for the asteroid belt if it had recently formed. But not for Han and Leia to to walk out with nothing but like a mask just over their nose and mouth for oxygen. Ah, well. Flight dynamics. Flight dynamics. Okay. In Star Wars. I didn't even go into it. I just said, uh, no, not possible. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, you have ships that are flying at you know, tremendous speeds and doing military-type maneuvers, uh, you know, basically having dogfights in space. Yeah. And it doesn't work that way. I mean, you can put flaps. You can put flaps all over the plane, you know, all over your spaceship if you want, and it doesn't matter, you know, what elevation you give the flaps. Your ship ain't changing. There's there's no air to move over those flaps. Right. So yeah. So they got completely got again. It would have ruined the movie because there's nothing, you know, when you see the Falcon doing like a split S or the X wings, you know, doing tight maneuvers. The TIE Fighters. Yeah. Yeah. So you had to have it for the entertainment factor of the movie, but no, flight dynamics are are all wrong. And the final one, which just killed me, when I was a kid, I didn't notice it. When I got older after, I don't know, the 12th time of watching episode four, Mm -hmm. I wanted to know what a parsec was. Oh, yeah. The ship that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. Yes. So you have your new Kessel Rum coasters that we're utilizing tonight, and it, <laughs> it reminded me of that one. <laughs> so this one bugged me, and I looked it up, and it bugged me even, even more afterwards. So a parsec is kind of an obscure form of measurement used in the astrophysics community, and it's around 3.26 light years. Okay. So it's actually a measure of distance. So if you did the Kessel Run... In 12 parsecs, that's saying that I made the Kessel run in less than 40 light years. Yeah. It makes no sense. It would be the equivalent, typically, of saying that you ran the 100 meters in 30 feet, breaking the previous record of 100 meters in 31 feet. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, like, so you didn't run the 100 meters. No. It's <laughs> like, how fast did you run the 100 meters? Oh, I did it in 31 feet. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so. Hmm. <laughs> Mm. I don't know why that one bugged me so much, yeah, but it no, did. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I did it in 31 feet. You know, just kind of go with the analogy. It's like, so you teleported? <laughs> yeah, or, you know. Or something? Yeah, yeah. Th- that's a that's a definite, like, I don't even know how to relate to that now. There is no relation. There is no relation. It's, it's again, it's like saying, oh, I drove from here to Houston. Well, how long did it take you? It took me about 300 miles. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. But, you know, George Lucas was actually challenged on this point oh. um, years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, many years ago. And I think, you know, after the movie came out and got popular and then somebody's like, hey, I got a question. You know, somebody. <laughs> did you know if you had a rebuttal or anything? He did. So his his response, whether you know, made up on the spot or well thought out was that he did it intentionally because he kind of wanted to portray Han as somebody who didn't always know what the hell he was talking about, but tried to know what the hell he was talking about. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, he was a swindler. Yeah, but then there was also, I think it was the movie Solo. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the movie Solo, where Han, you know, the young Han Solo actually did the Kessel Run. Yeah, I think it was Solo too. And the way he portrayed it is they ended up in a part of the galaxy which was just inundated with black holes. And he found the right pattern of black holes 
that the ship actually that he would go through or wormholes. Mm, mm -hmm. He found the right pattern of wormholes that it would go through that the ship only traveled 12 parsecs or less than 12 parsecs to cover the entire distance of the Kessel Run ah, by see. going through wormholes. So they're kind of able to write themselves out of that a little bit? So they wrote, yeah, but it, it, of course it was, when did Solo come out? 2012, 2014? I don't know. Yeah, 2000, yeah some, 2015. So 38 years after the original movie, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of wrote it out, and it was like, well, it was a distance measurement for distance because he did it by taking shortcuts through the right pattern of wormholes or whatever. And yeah, I I enjoyed the movie, so I didn't cry bullshit. <laughs> cool. That was a cool scene too. It yeah, I barely. I've only seen Solo. I think I saw it once, and then I watched it half again with my son. Mm -hmm. I need to go back and watch it again because I did enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, they basically see cthulhu or or uh, yes in that scene <laughs> yeah yeah it was cthulhu or something, or something like, a cthulhu -like, like, it. like entity yeah mm. so a couple goofs that i noted on star wars which were which was which were were, were funny do you remember an empire in the battle of hoth where luke is on his uh was it a was it a tauntaun the, the creature yeah the yeah, tauntaun. The cre yeah the tauntaun that he was riding through the snow and then the um Oh, what the what the hell's that thing called? The the abominable abominable the abominable ah. <laughs> snowman came out and the wampa the wampa yes thank you I couldn't <laughs> yeah. remember the name drug him off to his cave and hung him by his feet yeah and when he when he woke up he could see his lightsaber buried or stuck in the ice or snow yeah just he had, like, out of reach it. yeah yeah and he was trying he was reaching for it trying to use the force to pull it towards him yeah i remember this yeah if you freeze frame on that scene where it zooms in on the lightsaber clearly stamped on the hilt of that lightsaber says new york what yeah so apparently <laughs> the state of new york was were dealing arms to the uh, to the rebellion <laughs> <laughs> wow that's a fun little fact <laughs> it's still there and you can you, you know so i i went to google and looked it up and sure enough there's there's a lot of images out there where you can see it and it's, wow. it's stamped in new york so i wonder if that's because uh because so i looked into this you know see if i can make one for myself um the original props that they used were old. What the heck are they called? They're they're called flat like flash tubes um, for for cameras. Uh, so like old school cameras would be, you'd have the little camera obscura that would take the light and make the impression onto the film from from the light. But in order to generate light, they had this separate flash device that would they, they would hold up in their hands you know you can kind of see yeah. them in like old 1920s movies you know the guys are like oh yeah even the late even thing. the late 19th century where you know in the wild wild west they would have the powder up where they would ignite it and yeah it, yeah and they push a button you know and it would it would shoot this flash and it would burst this like light bulb flash and that's how the the camera would pick up it, its film anyway those things that they would hold up those handles are what they used uh to make the props for those first lightsabers oh i didn't know that yeah and so and maybe I, they were made in new maybe, york and exactly yeah <laughs> so early this morning i told you i you know the dogs got me up really early and i was it was one of the first things i, I don't know why it was one of the, i was walking out to get the coffee going and i was thinking about the new york stamp on the bottom of a lightsaber so I snuck down into the dojo at like 6.30 in the morning. Oh, to see that one that I have, yeah. So I had to check your lightsaber. It's not authentic. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, not one, It's not authentic to Star Wars anyway. No, it's not. It, yours, yours was made in Denver, Colorado. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, Denver is stamped on the, on the, on the bottom oh, of, the, of cool. the hill. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, I, I, I found a um, one of those flash cube things at a uh, at an estate sale, and I had to pick it up because I was like, "Holy crap, this looks just like a lightsaber!" And it's not one of the like ones that were highly coveted. I can't remember the brand name, but you could buy those for a long time. It's awesome. And, it really yeah, is. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, and now they're like they're you can't even like find those flash cube things anymore um, because everybody's pretty much converted them into some form of a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> so there's another one and I probably watched this video 20 times today and I just giggled my ass off every time I watched it. There was another goof. Have you ever seen the stormtrooper head bonk? The stormtrooper head. I'm just thinking of like when the Ewoks at the no, end. This no, was, this was in four. This was in new hope. Oh, what? <laughs> it is. And apparently, I also, when I was doing my, when I looked up the video, I noticed that there were a lot of memes for it, too. <laughs> so if you've never seen the Stormtrooper head bonk, that's all you have to type into Google is Stormtrooper head bonk. And there's like a 10-second YouTube clip that's hilarious. But it's three Stormtroopers, and it sh uh, they're, they're on the uh, Death Star, obviously. And you can see it from one side of the door. You just kind of see a blast come through, which implies that they shot the control panel to, to gain access. Mm -hmm. And it was probably when they were looking for, you know, either Han and Chewbacca or, you know, Leia and, 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 uh, and, and Luke. And the door opens up and there's three stormtroopers there and they come menacingly marching in as, you know, as fast as they can. And one of the stormtroopers in the back, when the door, when the blast door raised up, it only raised up like 80% of the way, and he whacked it full force right in his forehead. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've not seen that. And it makes it makes this audible bonk, <laughs> <laughs> and you see his head snap back, and the stormtrooper in the front just at the same time just turns around, and he was like, take charge. <laughs> <laughs> and bless the guy in the suit. He just carried on and kept on going, and it made it into the original script. So, But wow. if, you, if you look up. Stormtrooper head bonk. It's hilarious. And oh my I just, God. I had it on repeat. I was just going back and forth and back and forth. So <laughs> I, I'm standing there with the dogs this morning, drinking a cup of coffee, just giggling my ass off. <laughs> Come on, editors, get better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish, I'm glad they didn't because that one was awesome. There were, there were a lot of goofs, and as there are in every movie, but that was by far the funniest. And I thought the one, you know, what it said New York uh, was pretty great. Yeah, that, these fun little facts. I'm done with Star Wars. Wow. Okay. That's all the discrepancy. Did you, is there anything that you were thinking of that we didn't cover? No, my big one that, that always threw me off was that, that one with the open space and the, the, the bombs dropping. I mean, you could analyze to the, uh, the explosions, you know, of the Death Star too, uh, how they're clearly explosions in air. They're not like. So the explosions in air, the planetary explosions, those were all things that I found in the, you know, the science not being right. And I was like, mm, yeah, well, you yeah. Know, they had to make shit blow up. Yeah. What else was there that I didn't think was worthy of our debate time or discussion no, yeah. time? No, honestly, like Star Trek, right? You know, some of the guys are a little bit more, uh, more focused on getting it right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Irrational Discourse Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can send us an email at debate at irrationaldiscourse.com, or you can contact us directly through our website at www.irrationaldiscourse.com. Please include your name and location if you'd like a shout out for your contribution. 
We only ask for and strive to give in return a little love, acceptance, and mutual respect.